Hi, everybody. I'm Elisa McCabe. I'm the owner at First Steps Financial, and I would like to welcome you to Life Unedited Working Women. Each week, we meet a new boss woman and gain new perspectives and stories and inspiration. And if you haven't joined us before, welcome. And thank you to all who are returning for another episode. This conversation is recorded as a live webinar. And so if you're here with us on Zoom, feel free to put questions in the chat and we'd be happy to talk with you and answer any questions as we go along. And I am so excited to introduce our guest, Laura Pedrick. Welcome to Life Unedited. Hello. (laughs) And I know this is such an interesting situation for you just because you're on this side of the camera and usually on the other side, taking pictures of people. I'm just going to tell everybody a little bit about you. She is a photojournalist who for most of her career was assigned to cover New Jersey for the New York Times. The stories included state government, political campaigns, and a wide range of hard news and features for all sections of the paper. Her photography now focuses on visual marketing for private schools, and clients who are running for political office on both local and national levels. She's a contributing photographer, writer for Global Destinations, featured on the popular travel blog, Johnny Jet. Her Lambertville photo studio is dedicated to business and actor headshots and clients seeking personal branding. And you can find all this information on her website at pedrickphoto.com. So Laura, welcome. I'm like so excited to talk to you today because I talked to you before and we had a good time. Oh my God. Your path was so interesting to me. So start us out, you know, you're in college and Mm -hmm. you're thinking about like, what's your next job, but did a little travel in there. So, you know, my professional journey is, it's almost two chapters because I know part of that question was, myself as an entrepreneur. So being an entrepreneur didn't really come until later. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be a photojournalist and specifically work for the newspaper. And that really started very early with my being able to go on a safari when I was 13 with family, friends, some friends of ours. And it really exposed me to different cultures and poverty, you know, just that there, it's a big world out there. And that just got me very curious. And and it inspired you to travel more too. Yeah, it really did. And it didn't scare me. So that was something that just looked like an interesting profession to get into. We also had a family friend, a friend of my dad's, who was a journalist at the Associated Press. And he used to be the bureau chief in Moscow in the Soviet Union. Every time he needed to borrow my dad's tux for an awards dinner, he would come to our house. So his name was George Krimsky, and he really just embodied sort of this romantic version of a journalist, a newspaper man. And he suggested that when I go to school, I went to NYU to try and get a job at the office at the Associated Press at 50 Rock. Oh, wow. So I did that. 
when I was in school and being in the newsroom of the Associated Press and their main headquarters was pretty amazing. I mean, every news breaking event was coming through all the time. So that was very exciting. And And then there wasn't the internet. So you were getting the news of the world as it came in. Yeah, it was coming through in those little telex, you know, which was everywhere. So, you know, you walked into that newsroom, this big open space, and it was literally buzzing with excitement. And yeah, and it was also just a room filled with incredible talent, reporters who were on their way to go off to other countries or coming in. And it was just a very exciting, appealing profession to me. So when I graduated from NYU, I did travel for a year, met my best friend who was teaching English in Taiwan. And so I moved in with her and we experienced a major earthquake. And so I (laughs) actually covered that. And that was the first photos I took that I submitted to the Associated Press. So that was kind of a big, that was a neat experience. And there was a lot going on politically in the Philippines. And at the time, and we thought, because they were right in the middle of a ceasefire, they were right in the middle of a civil war, that we thought, oh, this would be a great place to go to for Christmas. So (laughs) only 20 something year old think it's a ceasefire. We should go visit. That's a good idea. And so we did. And it was a great experience. We were there for a few months and I did have an interview or met with the bureau chief of the Associated Press in Manila. And I was really persistent. I really wanted an assignment and I was not leaving that office until he gave me something. And I could just see, well, first of all, he said, why would I assign you when I could hire any photographer off the street for pennies? And it's really pretty dangerous. And so he really felt, he just felt that I really ought to just go home and get some experience on a wallpaper. And, but I was very persistent. He eventually did give me an assignment. I think we talked about this. Yeah. And at the last minute, because I had run out of money and I was talking to my dad and having this heartbreaking conversation with him, pleading with him to support me and Mm -hmm. wanting to do this work. And he did. He finally just said, I'm not going to keep you from doing what it is that you want to do. And in the end, I did decide to come home. And after several months of writing letters to almost 100 newspapers in on the East Coast. I finally got a job on a little newspaper called the Newburgh Evening News. And I worked there for two years, and it was an incredible experience. Where is that? Little, Where is the Newburgh? Is it Newburgh is right on the Hudson. It was actually called the Newburgh Beacon okay. Evening News because Beacon is on the other side. But we covered West Point. You know, it had a gritty little city that had some real issues. It was just an incredible opportunity to really cut my teeth as a photographer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all had scanners. So you were 
literally the police she, scanners. So you were listening to find no. out where, I mean, how exciting it was. I mean, I was 22 and <sighs> there was one other photographer, just the two of us. And, you know, we would try and race each other to get to those structure fires or shoot or bank robberies or whatever they were. But it was a really great experience. Oh, and, you know, so that's, there it's in movies so many times where they have that, where people are listening to the police scanners and they're trying to get to this and you're running right towards danger. And now, I mean, as a grown woman with, you know, children of your own, are you thinking like, oh, that was crazy. <laughs> I also just, you know, when you work for a, a small newspaper, you cover everything mm-hmm. and you really get for a short amount of time, very close to your subjects of all types, doing features on different types of people, politicians, victims of crimes, all of it. And there was a reporter there who I ended up marrying and I'm no longer married to that person, but he's, he and I would work together quite a bit on some stories. And we wrote a very important piece on children who were based on false allegations of abuse. So we kind of got into the whole, some pretty dark subject matter. Wow. And yeah, so, you know, there's... It really expanded your thoughts and your Mm -hmm. way you thought about different things. And that's incredible. Yeah, so, and then he got a job at the Trenton Times, which is what brought us down here. Mm -hmm. And that was in 89 and in around 19... 90, I contacted the New York Times to see if they needed any help in covering the state house mm-hmm. because Manhattan was just far enough that it was difficult to assign a reporter or a photographer. And so that was kind of my in. And back then they were really covering the state house pretty heavily. And once I started doing that, I then was assigned stories for all the other sections of the paper and became kind of my, definitely my main gig for 20 years, not on staff. It's, they call, call it being a stringer. So you're their Mm go-to freelancer. It was tough because you could lose your position very easily if someone, if you screwed up, let's put it that way. Or you didn't show up or you did... So you really worked hard at keeping that position and you kept it for 20 yeah. years. I mean, that's I pretty awesome. And then I had my daughter about 10 years into that. And that made me, it presented some challenges. I sometimes would bring her to assignments. I remember going, covering Christy Whitman for a press conference. And I had Lana in my snuggly facing out and, I had been on maternity leave for like a couple of weeks, you know, because I couldn't wait to get back. So yeah, I used to bring her on assignments from time to time. Wow. It definitely became, people yeah. I'm sure there weren't other people bringing their kids. So you were there and did anybody look at you differently or treat you differently because you had your daughter with you or? Well, it really worked. And I don't remember what the press conference was about, but the, it was a very full room. And I will tell you, Christy Whitman definitely focused on me. Nice. <laughs> Lana. 
So I got a lot of attention just for that one time. Yeah. I didn't make it a habit. I didn't bring her all the time. (laughs) It also, you know, becoming a mother in many ways made me a better photographer. I think as a lot of us, you know, you just see your world very differently, your sense of empathy. Yeah. It made covering some stories more difficult, actually, because I don't know, sometimes some of these stories really tug at your heartstrings. Especially when you have kids. I think it's Mm -hmm. different when you are younger and you don't have, you just have yourself to worry about. And then once you have that child, there is, it's like your Achilles heel. It's your soft spot. It's things affect you so much more. So would you say that having your daughter really started to change how you thought about yourself in the workforce too? I mean, it did. I mean, I felt a little less brave in some ways. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I didn't really want to take as many risks. And it's not, I mean, I was covering New Jersey. I wasn't covering. <laughs> you were in a war zone. Like, a war zone. But, you know, there were stories. We did a lot of stories in Camden. Mm-hmm. And whether it was dealing with the war on drugs or gangs. And, you know, as a stringer, a freelancer, in many ways, you have less protection. So I would sometimes get assigned to somehow come up with visual content to go with a story that was a little edgy. So I, things like that, you know, driving into Camden, staying there until two in the morning by yourself, going, photographing some interesting characters, you know, just that kind of thing. Wow. But as far as relating to people, I think it, Becoming a mother made me a better photographer in that way. Oh, I totally agree. I think becoming a mother made me better at work and had more empathy for other people. And Mm -hmm. it totally changed my perspective too. It really, and I do, I think it, you know, it definitely made me understand people's motivations more, you know, in that way. Sometimes like when life really changes it can either throw you for a loop or you just embrace it and see how it can reform you or just yeah, you rise so, to the challenge yeah and so the second sort of chapter of my journey is and during the recession in 2009 things for many people really changed oh yeah in the newspaper industry that was devastating so many sections of the paper at the times just disappeared and so I really had to pivot and I was still working for them for a while but the amount of assignments and revenue was less so I really that's when I became more of an entrepreneur and saw myself is having a business. I think I didn't really think of my photography as being a business. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to just figure out where I fit in with that. I think we talked about that, you know, initially I did weddings, which at that time sort of photojournalism style was trendy. Right. So that worked really well. And then that shifted to wedding trends being more about being a celebrity and more people came into the photo uh, wedding photography market. And I just kind of couldn't figure out my, get my bearings. Right. 
And it really wasn't until around 2015, I had this kind of an epiphany. I was listening to NPR and the state of the state, the governor was giving his state of the state. I think it was, what's his name? Christie. Chris Christie. Yeah, Chris Christie. Okay. Yes. And I just was feeling nostalgic and thinking, oh, I remember I used to cover that every year. (laughs) And then I thought, oh, right, politics. I mean, that is a business. And, you know, there was a time that they really wanted me to take a certain kind of picture of them that benefited their made them look good, but as a newspaper, you could care less what they wanted. You were there really to cover the story. So that's when I reached out to a couple political consultants and got into working specifically with politicians and in their brand. So kind of what I do now is really, it's all about making the client look good, which is not. Yeah. And that's what, you know, when you do portrait photography, it's really, so you had an interesting experience because you realized you didn't have a headshot and we needed a headshot for this podcast. And you had some epiphanies while you were shooting yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you still keep learning. And I think that's why I love what I do. It never gets old. Mm So I tend to, I photograph, I would say 90% are women, Okay. except if I'm in a school or politics, that's different. But the women who come into my studio, you know, really wrestle with their looks and their appearance and I'm no different. So when I had to get my headshot, I don't know anyone who's like me who would know what I would want, how I would like to look. So... Yeah, I spent an hour just putting the camera. I had it on the tripod, setting it for 10 seconds and running back and forth. And but it really gave me, you know, I was really trying to figure out the light in such a way that's gonna just look flattering. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things I bring to my shoots and yeah, that exercise was was very helpful. Yeah, and it's interesting when you are on the receiving end of it, you know. I always think that when you get to have that service done for you, you start to think about things a little different. And I thought that was cute because I think one of the comments you said to me was, oh, my God, I, I kind of feel stupid sitting here smiling into nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I, I got to, you know, make this a little happier. So <laughs> people have things that they are laughing about and talking about. And so, yeah. I just had a corporate shoot a couple days ago and we photographed 36 people. So people came in every 10 minutes and we just sort of a little studio set up in this conference room. And so we got all ages, mostly women. Interesting. And yeah, it was just, and I work with an assistant. So we talk a lot, you know, people would come in and then they leave and we would talk about sort of what that experience was. And, but I've gotten pretty good at just trying to make people feel comfortable because people will come in and say, well, what do I do with my hands? You know, and should I smile? And I explained to them that, you know, there was a time when I worked for the paper, you wouldn't tell people to smile or how to look, just kind of, you know, just be yourself and, and to not really direct it. So I kind of, when you come into my studio for a shoot, I don't ever tell anyone to smile, okay. but it happened. 
That's so good. you just kind of have to create an environment. Because when you go to get a picture, you suddenly realize you have hands and you go, oh, my God, what? they just feel unnatural, even though they've always been attached to your body. It's just all of a sudden. So that's nice that you make people feel comfortable enough and then you can coax that smile out of them. And then, well, I saw your photo shoot and it's beautiful. It was, <laughs> I loved it. I was like, I want that picture. I want that picture of me. It was fantastic. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about what it was like because being a newspaper photographer, it's mostly men, wasn't it, that you were working with? I mean, it's usually a a, yeah. a heavy, much more male mm-hmm. environment. And here you are a woman in it for 20 years. Yeah, I think I even told like in the very beginning when I was working at the Associated Press at age 19, it wasn't an internship, it was a job. I worked on the copy desk and whatever, I had little odd jobs to do, but I really wanted to work in the photo department and I would go down the hallway and to see if there was any openings. And I'm sure there were because other people would get hired. It was never women, but I would usually go into the dark room, which, you know, you went into the dark room and there was just, it was just post porn, you know, posted Alongside the women. enlargers. <laughs> That's right. It's they just, didn't want any women in there. <laughs> it's just how, how it was back then. Yeah, but I will say, like, at the New York Times, it was pretty evenly. There are a lot of women photographers right. on staff. And I would say, as far as writers and reporters, was pretty much even. Yeah. From my memory, my experience. And the women I worked with as reporters were just so tenacious and smart. And did you have a mentor? Did you able to connect with any of the women there? Did you were you able to find a mentor among the women that were there? Yeah, this is a coincidence. Jennifer Preston, who teaches, there's a webinar after this that I signed up for. She worked with the Columbia School of Journalism, but she worked as an editor at the New York Times for many years, a reporter, and she ran the Trenton Bureau. And she was very, I would say she was a mentor. She really looked out for me in so far as, I think she was more concerned about my financial well-being. Like, I mean, in terms of her career, you know, she tried to, yes, it's great to work as a freelancer. And, you know, when you're young, you just think, oh, it'll be there forever. Yeah. And she really tried to get me to maybe apply for jobs like the Star Ledger or other. So you could get on staff. Just knowing that how unreliable that could be. But I had a good run, you know, I had it That's for 20 great. years. It was fun. You but she was very Yeah, I was going to say, you must have had something for her to be the mentor to you, you know, to really recognize you and take you in. And I love it when women support other women. It's just, it makes all the difference. Do you, so is there anything that you're reading right now or watching or listening to that, you know, that is interesting to you or I'm definitely a news junkie, so <laughs> I read a lot, a little of a lot. Yeah. That's definitely great. been watching a lot of the stories about the Ukraine yeah. and trying to get a lot of live streaming 
from other countries on YouTube, which is interesting. I bet I, I never thought of that. That's actually really good. I hadn't thought about getting the live stream from other um, countries. I definitely watch a lot of BBC because I feel like they're like neutral. They don't care about the United States because the local, you know, like the local news stations kind of get themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good perspective. I feel very, I watch the coverage and I think a lot about the journalists who are covering it and I get very like worried for them. Like, I just feel like it's a very dangerous Mm-hmm. time to be covering news. One of my favorite photographers, her name is Lindsay Adario. You should really kind of look for her stuff. She's a freelancer and she's the she's covering Ukraine for the New York Times. And she's shot some pivotal images that have really shifted the perspective, global perspective about what's happening. I'm just like so afraid for like. Yeah, it's a scary um, place to be. I mean, because they don't, there's no electricity, there's no water, there's no infrastructure, there's nothing. And I don't even know how these journalists are getting around. You know, they're probably getting by by their own wits. And then when something does happen. Yeah, that's, amazing that is so cool I'm gonna look for her I'm gonna look for her photographs in the chat is Laura's website if anybody wants to check it out Laura I have enjoyed talking with you so much you have just led such a brave you're such a risk taker really you are like I know photography doesn't seem like the biggest risk taker but the stuff you've done it really is you know just putting yourself out there and I love it. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and your journey with us. And you're so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and I also want to thank Smart Boss Media. Be sure to check out their webpage at smartboss.media. And you can leave us comments on Facebook or Instagram. And thank you to everybody who's listening and responding to this episode. We love having you as part of our community. And if you haven't already, sign up for the live webinar and spend your lunch break with us every Thursday. And next week, we are going to have Dr. Kimberly Park, a board-certified physician and founder of Medicom in PA. It's a holistic medical practice dedicated to helping patients benefit from new and evolving treatments, including the use of medical marijuana. And I'm so excited to talk with her. She is just a front runner in this medical community and we're excited to talk to her. Thank you, Laura. It was great talking with you. Take care, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Life Unedited, Working Women, a production of Smart Boss Media. We'd love to hear from you and we'd like even more to help your business grow. If you have any questions or want to contact any of the folks on this podcast, you can just email us at info at smartboss.media. Also at smartboss.media, you'll find any resources and links that go along with this podcast. And you can find links to other podcasts and resources for entrepreneurs and learn how Smart Boss Media can help you get your business podcast launched and listened to like this one is. It's your one stop for information to help you listen, create, and thrive as an entrepreneur. Visit smartboss.media.